Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Okay, Eric Bilstadt, this is the burning question. Next week, the Packers are playing on the road in Winnipeg, Canada, against the Oakland Raiders. This is Oakland's last year, of course, in Oakland. All right, Aaron Rodgers. Do you play Aaron Rodgers in the third game in Winnipeg? In a (laughs) no, 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 no. That's no, no, no. And yes, you say yes. Yes, you're not going to play him in week four. You play him if you're going to play him at all. You do it this week. All right. Do you have any concerns that this is not an NFL stadium? That you're now, I don't. I don't think it's fair to describe it as a high school field, but it, it's it's ah, not. Okay. A, see, I, I mean, see here, where you're going. With see, this. Here, here's the overriding thing. I mean, and look, and I, I'm looking up the stadium. It's a relatively new stadium. I mean, it's been around for a few years and stuff. But I guess my my answer is, it really depends because if, if this is a field that in any way, shape, or form is not up to NFL standards, the last thing you want to do is trot Aaron Rodgers out. Because right, if there's true. if there's any lesson that came from last night's game, this Packers team is in a hell of a lot of trouble without Aaron Rodgers. I, that, that's, I, I understand that's exhibition games and stuff, but um, they're... If anybody thinks these backup quarterbacks can go in and win against the first team NFL teams, they just, I just, they, they can't. But that's okay. You can say that about a lot of teams. I guess I'm, I am really, really reluctant about saying, what do you get out of playing him one or two series in a game in Winnipeg on a non NFL field? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but isn't there something to be said for at least feeling out the nuances of the head coach. I mean, they're brand new. You don't want him working out kinks in I don't, week one. I don't, even, I don't want him tearing up a knee on an inferior field. Well, that's it, what it, I. That's my concern. That wouldn't be unprecedented, by the way, for them not to even play. I mean, I, we haven't heard anything like that. Right. But like, there have been preseason games in the past that have been canceled altogether because the field was just not up to par. Right, and again, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a relatively new stadium, and I understand they've got a football team that plays there, and I really don't know that much about the turf or things like that. I just, I mean, it's kind of like when the NFL plays games in London or they play games in Mexico and things like that. I'm always, okay, these are, I'm just, I am, I'm a little bit, I, I think when you look at what the Packers season is with Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. versus what it would be without Aaron Rodgers, I'm sitting there, that's my first question is, what is this field like and, you know, is it, uh, again, and I, I don't mean to diss anybody up in Winnipeg, but can you imagine what happens if he tears up his knee, you know, playing in Winnipeg, oh, Canada in the third that. game of the oh. No, I'm just saying that's why if I'm the head coach, I'm thinking, you know, maybe we, we sit him on, on this one. <laughs> um, the, the field is at the University of Manitoba, you know, so I'm just – I'm, I just, I hate to have an exercise of caution, and I understand that football players can get injured all the time, and I'm trying not to diss this field, but I'm reading all about the, the, the issues they had and getting it constructed and getting the money to do that. It might be the greatest field in the world, but I'm just thinking, if I, if I'm the head coach, I'm sitting him. Okay. That's just, right, we'll, see. we'll see how that all works out. All right. 
we do not go gently into the good weekend on the Wagner program. As you've been listening to all morning, uh, the, the freeways are are a mess, and it's just a mess with a capital M. Uh, I-94 westbound is closed at, uh, what, Highway 67, right, Eric? Highway 67, which is Oconomowoc. You, you cannot go westbound. They are getting all the traffic off. And we don't know how long it is going to be closed, except from the view of our traffic cameras. It doesn't look like it's anything that's going to open up in the next couple minutes. Right. And this is a, a deadly accident. So whenever that is the case, that means they need to reconstruct. They need to do a little bit more investigating than just clearing the scene. So that's going to make this take quite a, a little while. Right. So if you if you are planning to go west, you, you might want to consider various alternate routes because you will not be able to go westbound on I-94 beyond Highway 67, once again, which is Oconomowoc. So, and we don't know how long it's going to last. We'll continue to do time-saver traffic updates. But the bottom line of all this is it ain't going to happen. You cannot go west So, uh, beyond Highway 67, so plan accordingly if you're making those trips. In addition, there's been a mess northbound on I-43 around Good Hope Road that had traffic backed up substantially we think that that's getting better, yeah, right, Eric? Yeah, that's all cleared. So you're that is, good heading okay. north on 43. You're, good. So when I get off of work and I You'll go home good. that route, I'm, that's good. What <laughs> what does it mean for Wagner? All right, I, I understand. It. Right, I'm not going west tonight, but I am going north. But in any event, in all seriousness, we will continue to keep you updated because – you know, don't just don't get on the freeway and then fi- find out, okay, why is this closed and why is this taking such a long time? Well, it's taking such a long time because they're making you get off on Highway 67, and then you're on two-lane roads. You know, so you've you got all these cars that are getting off, so that creates backups as well. All right, we'll continue to keep you updated on that. All right, let's get started. All right, maybe this is too simplistic, but there is a difference between boys and girls, isn't there? And shouldn't we recognize that? My answer would be yes. Here is the story. <clears throat> and and it, it actually, it, it comes from Berlin, Germany, but it raises this larger point that could affect all of us. In Berlin, the oldest cultural institution is something called, it's an all-boys choir. Berlin has this extremely famous boys' choir. It's called the State and Cathedral Choir of Berlin. It has about 250 singers. And there is one defining characteristic for all the singers. They are boys. And that's been the way it's been for 550 years. They are they are boys. Now, the State and Cathedral Choir of Berlin is a public institution, and what they do is they go out and you know, people will try out, starting at the age of like six or seven years old, and, you know, I mean, think of the Vienna Boys Choir. You know, you, you probably, you know, heard about or maybe you've seen the Vienna Boys Choir. Well, this is the same thing. It goes back 550 years, and what they do is they, they have boys that try out. Well, along comes... A girl, and she decides, I want to sing in this particular choir. And so what happens is, starting two years ago, she applies to be a member of the boys' choir. The first two years, they just turn her down flat. They say, no, you know, they, she doesn't get an interview. She just gets turned down. The third year, they give her a tryout, 
And then they say, uh, no, you're not good enough. You're not motivated enough. You can't be a member of the choir. What's happened now is her mother has gone public saying, look, this is discriminatory. You are discriminating against my daughter because of her gender. There are other choirs that are all girls choirs, for example, but that none of them are as prestigious as this particular choir, which, again, along with uh, the Vienna Boys Choir out of Austria and maybe a couple others across the, the world, this is one of the most famous choirs, but it is all boys. So the mom is saying, my daughter should have every right to participate. And the fact that they said she wasn't good enough, that's just a, a pretext. They just don't want girls as part of this choir. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you come down on this? Let us assume for the sake of argument that the choir, which has been exclusively boys for you know the last 550 years, is just simply making this decision that you know what we are providing is a unique musical experience and it's, it's the voices of the young boys that contributes to this, and no, we don't want girls because they have different registers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are other opportunities for them. Should this choir or other choirs be required to accept, in this case, girls, because otherwise they're being discriminated based on gender? I will tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should in this case, it is a public institution. Should they be able to have an all-boys choir like they have for the last 550 years? And if this played out in the United States, what do you think the right answer is? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eric Bilstead, you have good news, a surprise, too. Yeah, they are removing the barrels right now. 94 westbound appears to be back open at Highway 67. This after a uh, deadly crash, a head-on crash, it sounds like. We're waiting to get more details, but it sounds like a a head-on crash involving two vehicles, killed one, injured another, and that shut down the interstate for several hours. Right now, though, it appears everything is back open. 94 westbound is moving again. Moving slowly. It'll be slow for a while, but it will dissipate, and that's great news. Good enough. Thank you. Lions and Tigers and WTMJ, oh my, join us for a wild weekend at the Milwaukee Zoo a la carte. Enjoy the food, the music, and don't forget... Stop by to see some of your favorite WTMJ personalities. Go see Melissa Barkley Saturday from 1 to 3, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Linda in McGuanago. Linda, good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Linda. Okay, this girl says she's being discriminated against because they won't consider her for the Berlin Boys Choir because, well, she's a girl. I disagree. I think that she should not be allowed to be in there. I think that there are things that boys should do, things that girls should do. And my thought also is, what is this mother teaching this child? If I can't have my way, I should yell discrimination or go for a lawsuit? Well, but let me ask you, she is, you know, she is, sounds like she's being discriminated against. I mean, she's saying, look, my daughter wants to sing in the most prestigious choir in, in Germany, and they're telling her no simply because of her gender. I mean, is, does that sound fair to you? I have to disagree. I think that it's an all-boys choir. Right. 
and it should be kept that way. I don't think it's discrimination. I think that there are things for girls to do and boys to do, just as boys shouldn't do something that an all-girls choir should do. Well, right, and by the way, there are all-girls choirs that she has actually sung with as well. So, I mean, it's not like she doesn't have the opportunity to do it. Now, they might not be quite as prestigious as this one, but nonetheless, she's got the opportunity to sing if she wants. No, thanks for the call. Here's an interesting uh, text or Jeff. I have a degree in choral music and directed children's groups for many years. Boys' choirs are a long-standing European tradition. Yeah, that's right. I mean, think of the Vienna Boys' Choir. Anyways, the text continues. The tone quality of boys' voices before their voices change has a very different quality than that of young girls. Not better or worse, but different. You can only get that specific sound quality from a boys' choir, which to me is the ultimate distinction. I mean, there's, again, there's a reason why you have, in this case, it's the boys' choirs. For example, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, you know, that's got men and women in it. It's got, it's got young people, it's got older people, but, but when you're doing the boys' choirs, it is something unique and a unique sound quality that they're asking for. And, and yeah, I, there's 550 years of tradition here. It's not like the girl doesn't have an opportunity to participate and to sing, just not in this particular group. Let's talk to Jim in Lamira. Hi, Jim. Yeah, Jeff, this is getting to the point where you, you say, let's make this real simple. We're going to eliminate all gender-based um, sports teams, whatever they are. Uh, you know, all the, the uh, talk about the women's, uh, soccer team. Let's just have one soccer team, and men and women uh, comp- compete to get on there. And you, you either make it or you don't. Right. Well, of course, well, I mean, Title Nine and everything else, and say it's just going to be one group. Yeah. If and, you compete, you're on. If you if you don't, you're out. And of course, what's the effect of that going to be? And and please, for for female well, athletes, don't get upset with me. But yeah, I mean. Uh, women basketball players, if you take the best men's basketball players, for example, and the best women's basketball players, the best men basket, men's basketball players are much better. So, right, the, under, right, the effect of that's going to be essentially women aren't going to have opportunities as a general rule to participate in sports. So, right, that doesn't yeah, – this, yeah. this can't be a one-direction thing. Uh, I mean, most of the time it's uh, the women pushing into the men's. Well, what about the men that say, I, I want to be a superstar, so I'm going to play on a women's team? Well, I mean, you see that sometimes with right. I mean, thanks to call. I mean, you see that sometimes when you got the guy that says, "I want to play field hockey," and we don't have a boys' field hockey team, so I want to play on on the girls' field hockey team. And of course, the the guy is just a better athlete. And again, it's I, look. I, I understand there's lots of great women athletes, and I'm not trying to diss it. But boys and girls are different, which is kind of where I come down on this issue. There is a special sound quality. There is a reason why, historically, you have had the all-boys choirs. It creates a unique sort of sound, and it changes if you allow women in. It's not like the girl doesn't have an opportunity to sing at government-run things. She can participate in women's choir activities, girls' choirs activities. Now, if it's not as famous, okay, who, who cares? She still has the opportunity to sing. Henry in West Dallas. Henry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, hello, Jeff. I Hi. just want to say first that um, I've been listening to you for a long time, and I really like your show. Well, thank you. How old are you, Henry? Uh, I am 26. Oh, 26. Okay, great. You uh, sound a little bit younger. 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> Great. Well, welcome to the program. All right, thank you. I just want to say that um, I definitely think that um, she should not be allowed just um, just because, like, it would take kind of take away the historic value. And like you were saying before, with the with the call of the form, the sound, the unique sound that yeah. comes in with the um, with all boys. Yeah, exactly. No, Henry, thanks for the call, and thanks so much for listening, and thanks for participating. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of like, okay, you know, you've got a barbershop quartet. They are looking for, in a barbershop quartet, there, there are certain, uh, again, it's, it's not a gender thing necessarily, but there's certain tonal qualities. You know, you need various voices to do the different, you know, sounds that you need for a barbershop quartet. And, and it would be like saying, well, you know, no, you know, we, we need, you know, we need three tenors or whatever. Bottom line of all this is boys and girls, men and women are different. And I'm not saying you discriminate against the men or you discriminate against the women. I'm just saying, all right, sometimes there's a reason for this separation. And in this case, I think this is the reason. All right, let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I am not a gun banner. I believe in the Second Amendment. At the same time, I think we need to be able to come and reason together when it comes to certain gun control measures. We talked about one yesterday during the program, and I know some of you disagree with me uh, about background checks. Will background checks completely stop crazy people from getting guns? No, it, it won't. Will there be ways that criminals can avoid it? Yes, of course. But at the same time, I guess I don't understand why. I don't think it's that onerous. I don't think that's that tough to make people go through a background check that takes about two minutes before they end up buying a firearm. Here's another thing that I just flat do not understand, and it is why people should be able to buy magazines, the things that store, you know, the bullets, why they should be able to own high-capacity magazines. The Dayton shooting, that shooter had one of these special uh, drum magazines. It was kind of like, if, if you remember, you ever used to watch like the really old movies, like in the 30s, you know, the gangsters that had like the Tommy guns and things like that. It was th- those high-capacity magazines. The guy in Dayton, had a magazine that was able to fire a hundred rounds without reloading. A hundred rounds without reloading. These types of magazines have been on the market forever, but they've become more popular lately because apparently what's happened is that they've improved them. The, the old-style drum magazines used to jam a lot. Well, now they, they, they're on the market. They're more popular. You know, I get it. Mostly collectors will end up buying these things, but you can buy one of these things for about 100 bucks. In addition, you have um, you have the, the box-style magazines, the, the big things that you just clip into the gun. Um, they stack bullets on top of each other. Typically, you know, they can carry 30 rounds or so. They, they sell a 30-round magazine for an AR-15-style rifle, sells for around 15 bucks. Now, back between 1994 and 2004, the new magazines – New magazines over 10 rounds were prohibited. So they they didn't confiscate existing magazines that were out on the market, but all new round, all new magazines, you couldn't have more than 10 shots. Okay. Our number 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I fully understand that it takes a second or two, which is not very much time at all, to pull one magazine out of a gun and stick the second magazine in. It, it, it only takes a couple seconds to reload. I understand that. But if we learn nothing about that date and shooting, a couple seconds make, can, can make a, a big, big difference. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that for target shooters, all right, maybe the idea of having to reload every 10 rounds is a bit of an annoyance. But but really, is it that much of an annoyance? I also understand that if you have somebody who is committed to being a mass murderer and they show up with 10 or 20 different magazines, each that have 10 rounds, they are capable of doing an incredible amount of destruction. I understand that. So I, I appreciate all that. But at the same time, when you have these situations and somebody shows up with a box magazine that's got 30 rounds in it or one of these drum magazines that has 100 rounds in it and they are able to fire continuously without having to reload, the possibility for carnage is so much greater. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, at the risk of inciting those of you who are, are just absolutists in this area, I do not understand why people need to have these high-capacity magazines. I'm not saying that we should confiscate the ones that are in existence, but doesn't it make sense in today's day and age to say, all right, maybe what we did between 1994 and 2004 was the right thing. No new magazines over 10 rounds. Will it stop mass shootings? No. But could it potentially reduce the carnage that is caused when one of these kooks shows up. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. I am an AR-15 owner as well as a handgun owner, uh, semi-automatic handgun owner, and uh, I disagree with you. I believe they should be confiscated and outlawed. Uh, they are not necessary. Nobody needs them. My right, my Second Amendment constitutional right to to uh, own and bear an arm would not be infringed yeah. whatsoever. Um, well, well, yeah, so, let me stop you there because people say, well, the Second Amendment, right? Well, the, the, the Second Amendment, just like the First Amendment, it, it's not absolute. People can't exactly. own tanks. Can't own, people can't own bazookas. You're not able to, you, if you're going to own a machine gun, you have to go through all sorts of hoops, including getting a permit and law enforcement approval. I mean, it's it's yeah. not absolute. I'm not talking about taking your gun, Scott. I'm just saying, do you need a high-capacity oh. magazine? And nor am I, nor, yeah, right. you are not talking about taking my gun. What you, there is no reason. I mean, 30 round, a 30 round magazine is a balance issue when it comes to an AR 15. It's also a, a convenience on a, on a range when right. you're practicing and such. I hunt with, with 10 and 20 round mag, uh, magazines. Right. Uh, because I don't need that much. If I'm not, if, if I'm not hitting something with, 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 you know, within the first five shots, right. I should know the rifle. Right. Right. No, I get it. No, thanks. So now, here's the flip side. Here's the text, Jeff. When I go to the range, I don't feel like reloading 25 magazines when I go to shoot 250-plus rounds. 
I, I mean, okay, this is just a heavy sigh. I, I'm sorry if you don't feel like, you know, reloading every time, you know, you shoot 10 rounds. But, all right, maybe that's fine, and I appreciate that you're not the guy that's going to show up, you know, out, out in the in the bar district, you know, with the high-powered weapon and start, you know, shooting people indiscriminately. But at the same time, if we can do one small thing to eliminate the potential for that carnage, or at least to reduce the carnage, isn't that worth a little bit of inconvenience that maybe every 10 rounds you have to pull the one uh, magazine out and insert the next magazine? Okay, then the the text continues. If the true spirit of the Second Amendment comes into effect to overthrow a tyrannical government, our firearms and capabilities need to match police and government forces. And I will tell you, I find that to be a bit scary. If, If the justification is going to be we need to allow average citizens to have military-style weapons so they can use them against the military. No, I really don't think that's the, the spirit of the Second Amendment as it's evolved into 2019. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dan on the south side. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Dan. I, I, I'm a hunter, and I do, and I, I, I hunt for, you know, if I can't get over a couple, a couple of shots, you know, I don't understand this 100-pound. I got two questions for you, uh, but that's one thing. The other question for you, and I know you're a gambling man. My question to you: In okay. two weeks or two and a half weeks, Congress is going to be back in session. My question to you: Yep. Is I bet I'll bet you whatever you want, bet this is all gone. They're not going to bring up the subject about gun control. But with Donald Trump already changing the subject, and Mitch McConnell don't want nothing, huh? would you want to bet me on that? I no, I absolutely no. Thanks. No, absolutely not. I I think that, I I think that the odds are overwhelming that you know nothing's going to end up getting done. And see, see, part of the thing that frustrates me, and I, I look, I I understand that there's absolutists on both sides. There are some people who don't believe that the Second Amendment should apply to private ownership of guns, and they would like to have the government go door to door and confiscate people's firearms. Okay, there, there's that fringe. Then there's the other people who believe that the Second Amendment is absolute and you shouldn't be able in any way, shape, or form to limit the, the rights of people to own firearms. And, and even on the periphery, hey, if I want a bump stock that turns an ordinary legal weapon into an illegal machine gun, I should be able to do it for 25 bucks. I, I should be able to buy, if I want armor-piercing ammunition so it you know penetrates the, the, the bulletproof vests of police officers, I should be able to have that. I... I think that there is a middle ground here in America where most people are at. And that middle ground is, look, we, we appreciate, you know, people having firearms for self-defense. We appreciate people having firearms for hunting. We appreciate people having firearms for recreation. But that doesn't mean that you can't have some reasonable restrictions. And again, I, I, I look at this, this drum thing with a hundred rounds. And I, for the life of me, don't understand why private citizens need something with that type of capability. Military, I, I get it. But but really, why do you need that? And, and if the best argument you can come up with is, well, when I go to the range, I, I, I don't want to have to reload as often. I, I'm not sure that that's compelling. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Bill on the south side. Bill, you're on WTMJ. See, and my Hi, Bill. father, when I was growing up, bought me a single shotgun, and I wanted more than that. And he says, if you don't hit him with the first shot, you ain't going to get a second one. <laughs> yeah, and, 
that was ingrained in me. Yeah, I, I mean, qualified as a marksman in the military, and it had a lot to do with my father. Uh, I think we should register and mm-hmm. background checks just like a car mm-hmm. every year. Yeah, well, I don't want to. I mean, registration's a whole different thing, and, and that's. You know, that, that's one of the reasons why people are reluctant to go with a background check because they think the next step is, is, is you know, uniform gun registration. And, and I, you know, then you're going down that slippery slope. I, I just, I like to issue, I like to look at issues on a, on a case by case basis. I was glad that President Trump banned the bump stocks. I don't think that infringed on anybody's rights in, in any sort of material way. Similarly, I think if you put a limit on the capacity of the magazines and, and maybe maybe 10 rounds is too small okay I, I, i'll leave that up i'll leave that up to people but but really 30 rounds 50 rounds 100 round magazines is that if if we say okay you're, you're limited to 15 rounds before you have to reload is that really impinging on anybody's right in an appreciable way we continue the conversation in just a moment back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner We're back. Let's talk to Mary in Wauwatosa. Hi, Mary. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. What do you think? Um, I just, I am not a gun owner, don't ever want to own a gun in my life, but I strongly believe in the Second Amendment. And I think that any of these modifications, uh, the big magazines, the armor-piercing bullets, etc., should come with a notification to local law enforcement. Because if you are someone who truly is using this for sport or target practice or whatever, you wouldn't care if local law enforcement knew you had them. Right, so you're say, you would you would actually say, okay, let's continue selling these things, but let's have some form of registration or something, just like, um, for example, silencers, suppressors. You know, you can own them, but there's this whole process, a series of hoops that you have to jump through before you can privately own one. Exactly. Okay. And I'm I'm not a big fan. I'd rather they banned all of that, you know, all of the modifications. But if they don't, I think it's, you know, someone in local law enforcement should know who owns these things. Um, yeah, well, you know, interestingly, my guess is, Mary, politically, it would be easier to ban 100-round magazines than it would be to get people to go along with registration, just, just from a political no. perspective. Yeah. And isn't that ridiculous? Because if you're not going to use it for something that is inappropriate, you wouldn't care if it was registered. I, I, or well, you shouldn't. I, th- see, I, th- I mean, I, see, there, there are certain issues in, in this country where I, I think you have the vast majority of people, and then you have a small group of people who, ver- for, on, on both ends of the spectrum, who feel very, very strongly, but because they feel so strongly about it, they're, they're able to, to dominate. Gary in West Allis. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I was just telling you, Screener, back in World War II, I think it was, the Grand had a magazine of five or six. The M1, five, five rounds. Right. In Vietnam, we only had 20 rounds, and then they came out, if I speak later on, with a 30 round. And then you had the, the hyper, all like a 60 caliber and a 50, and after a certain amount of rounds, you had to change the dang barrel. Right. Right, and and those were the, I mean, those were the, those weapons are the, that's kind of like the fixed point, like machine guns and stuff that you're talking about, right? 
yeah. Well, you could carry the M60 across your back and, right. and you know, do a Rambo because we've done it. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it's just these, these Republican Democrats got to get together. They've got to do something. Right. So your point is, you know, given the, the military history, you don't understand why private citizens need 50 or 100 round magazines. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Not See, I think now, thanks. For, I mean, again, I, and I think that's where the majority of, of this country is. I, and I guess here is my message to the, the people that, you know, for example, just want to oppose every sort of gun restriction because they think it's going to chip away at the Second Amendment. The, the, the Second Amendment, just like the First Amendment, is not an absolute type of thing. And I think what you have to be careful on is when people just say, okay, we're, we're going to take what many people would agree would be a, a reasonable sort of regulation, and we're going to oppose it because we're afraid of what the next regulation might be, what happens is you end up marginalizing yourself, and, you know, you again, you don't want to have that that happen. I mean, I say you have to look at each measure on its own, right? They, they By executive order, they ban the bump stock. Has that really infringed on or interfered with anybody's Second Amendment rights as a practical matter? And I think the answer is probably no. All I'm saying is I think you have to be open to some of these things on the edges um, in order to then you know save your ammunition, no pun intended, for the really big fights. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. At the risk of further alienating some of you, is this plan to save the domes absolutely nuts or what? All right, the Mitchell Park domes. That, that, you know, you, you can see them as you're driving I-94 West and you see the three domes. Maybe, maybe you have been to the Mitchell Park domes at some point in time. Gru, have you, have you ever been there? Uh, a few times. You've been there a couple times. All right. Eric Bilstead, you've been to the Mitchell Park domes? I have. When? When was the last time? Uh, four or five years ago. Okay. Four or five years ago. I, 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 I you know, have I been there? Yes. Probably 20 years ago. <laughs> no, seriously. And that, that's, that's what I think most people would, would say. Yeah, I can remember taking my kids there, or yes, I, I went there. But it's not a huge people attraction compared to other things. But I, I'm, I'm not saying the domes aren't, aren't a kind of nice thing, but it's not a huge attraction. On top of that, as we have discussed and documented, the, the domes are, are falling down. They were built in the 60s using 1960-type construction processes and they're, they're just wearing out all right so now the question is what do you do there are estimates that say that in, in order to you know revitalize the domes and, and make them just safe for the future it, it could cost 30 40 50 60 million dollars i mean that that's just the reality now let me give you the other dose of reality here before we talk about this plan right now milwaukee county this year this year they are facing a $28 million deficit. In other words, you've got all these expenses that are out there. They're short $28 million. And nobody knows for sure where that $28 million is going to come from. On top of that, Milwaukee County is facing a backlog for capital improvement projects. Um, the, The safety building is falling apart. 
you know, the safety building, if OSHA goes through there, God knows what they're going to do. The safety building essentially needs to be leveled and rebuilt. Then you've got the issues with the zoo. You've got all the issues with the parks. You've got the issues with the roads. You've got other public buildings. Bottom line is, right now, Milwaukee County is facing a capital project backlog, stuff that needs to be done of nearly half a billion dollars. So let's let's call it $500 million capital project backlog, $28 million deficit just for 2019. All right. Now we're talking about big money and nobody knows where that money is going to come from. Nobody knows where that money is going to come from. On top of that, you have this thing that has been hovering over the heads of Milwaukee County residents, well, for for going on 20 years now, that little thing about the pension scandal, where you have all these obligations that are out there to certain retirees, people who are going to be retiring and walking away with hundreds of thousands, if not you know, over a million dollars in, in different types of benefits. All this stuff is going on, and we all agree that in order to keep the domes operating, you need a huge infusion of capital. So they have this task force, and it comes up with this business plan that they have recommended to the county board. And what they say is, okay, here's the deal. We want, we think that you can revitalize the domes in Mitchell Park for $66 million. And we think, okay, $30 million of this is going to go into the domes, $30 million into the domes. Now, there's some real question about whether $30 million is enough to, to do what you need to do. But let's leave that aside for a minute. $30 million into the domes, and then um, we're going to do some other things as well. We're going to take a, a boathouse at the Mitchell Park Lagoon, and we're going to turn it into a wedding center. Um, we're going to put in a couple new buildings for apprenticeships, etc., and we're going to add a full-service year-round restaurant that's going to have some food trucks, and we're going to have some more trails, $66 million. Now, here's the deal. They say, well, all right, no, we don't expect the county to come up with all this money. We want $13.5 million from the county up front right away, and we think – we're going to be able to get another $13.5 million in private donations. Where that's going to come from, you know, we don't know. And then they say, okay, then we're going to get $39 million from tax credits and opportunity zone investments. So in other words, you know, we, we expect the government, particularly the federal government, to come in and, and help bail us out as well. But the linchpin to all of this None of this happens unless the county commits, like essentially right away, to come up with $13.5 million, and then we'll see if we can get $13.5 million in private donations, and then we'll see if we can get another $40 million in tax credits, et cetera, et cetera. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, in a perfect world, we'd be able to eat all the ice cream we want without getting diabetes and without getting fat. We do not live in a perfect world, unfortunately. All right, that's that's just kind of the, the reality. In a perfect world, if you're a golfer, anytime you go out on the, the tee, you're going to hit a drive, and it's going to be 255 yards right down the middle of the fairway. If you're a golfer, you know we do not live in a perfect world. I look at this plan, and again, I, I, I have nothing against the domes. I haven't been there in, in ages. I have nothing against the domes. But looking at all the real needs that Milwaukee County has, 
looking at the budget reality that Milwaukee County has, especially given the fact that you've already got a budgetary deficit this year of $28 million, that you've got a backlog of capital projects of over half a billion dollars. This idea of saying, okay, up front, we're going to commit 13 or $14 million just to put it in the domes right now on the hope that then we're going to be able to get another $13 million in private donations and that we're going to be able to get the feds to come in and kick in $40 million in tax credits makes me wonder what people are smoking. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At some point in time, don't you have to prioritize stuff? And, you know, nobody is explaining where this money is going to come from. Um, you know, are we going to, you know, impose taxes? Um, are, are, are we going to have, you know, I don't know, you know, added fees like we have? Are you going to, now that the Miller Park sales tax is starting to wind down, are we going to have another supplemental sales tax that we pass? Do you want to have more taxes? And if you do, is the best way that you can spend this money, given all the other real financial needs that are out there, is the best way you can spend it in trying, all right, let, let's try to keep the domes operating, and let's build a wedding chapel, and let's add a couple trails. And I'm not anti-domes, but at the same time, when I think of all the other things that are much more, in my opinion, pressing needs than the domes, Maybe it's just time to say, all right, let, let's focus on priorities, and the domes aren't one of them. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand I'm antagonizing some of you who just absolutely love the domes, and I know that there's some people who go you know, every two weeks, but there's not many of you. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I... I I don't I don't dislike the domes, haven't been there in a long time, but this idea of sixty six million bucks starting with thirteen million dollars that Milwaukee County doesn't have as kind of the seed money on the hope that then you're gonna get thirteen million dollars in private investment. Show me where those people are, and then you're gonna get another forty million or so from federal tax credits. Okay, it seems to me it's all pie in the sky. Given all the priorities we have, can we afford the domes? Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. Uh, no, no, we can't. I mean, uh, I do like the domes. I haven't been there forever. But if they're, if they're gone, I'm not going to miss them. I'd rather have them fix up potholes around the street. Well, well, yeah, I mean, just think of all the different priorities that, that you have. And, again, I, the domes are a nice sort of thing. What, have, have you ever been there, Mike? I've been there, but it's, I was there for a wedding, and it's been like 10 or 15 years ago, and I haven't been back. But yeah, yeah, exactly. No, thanks. I mean, you're you're exactly you're exactly right. It, it is a nice thing. It contributes to the overall quality of life in this area. I'm not going to argue about that. But you know, there's a lot of other things to do as well. And as we talk about on this program on a regular basis, things things come and go. And that's just the reality. And sometimes we just latch on to this stuff. You know, yesterday we did a topic about how it's been a year since Boston Store closed. And I understand Boston Store is a private enterprise. But there's all sorts of stuff that kind of has a useful life and then it outlives it. The domes were built in the 60s. And they had a certain type of construction style, which, again, it's it's not conducive to lasting forever. 
I think it would have made a lot more sense for this task force to say, okay, maybe what we can do for a fraction of this money, maybe we can recreate the experience at the domes. I don't know, take some some space out at the zoo or something so we can do something uh, again you know, that will keep people, all right, you, you want to go out to the zoo. But but this decision, the money, it's not a zero-sum game. What happens is money that you put into the domes means money that you're not going to get from other sources. And it means money that you can't spend on other sources. And given the fact that you're looking at, like I say, almost a $30 million deficit for this year alone, that you've got half a billion dollars in capital improvements that you don't know where you're going to get that money, given the fact that you've got all these pension liabilities that are hanging out there that have been an albatross around county taxpayers' necks, it just seems to me unrealistic and unreasonable to say, oh, let's just, again, let's just put in pony up $13 million on this hope that, gee, then another $13 million is going to come in from donors, and then another $40 million is going to come in from the feds. It's just not a realistic solution, period. Speaking of unrealistic, this is the county. Wait till you hear what the city is committed to doing. We'll talk about that in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Oh, okay, so I, I understand that despite the fact that you know the county doesn't have money, that the city doesn't have money, that doesn't stop us from spending stuff. I mean, Tom's trolley folly being the, the best example of that is he continues just hell-bent to try to expand the, the streetcar with money that the city doesn't have. I say money that the city doesn't have because the city apparently doesn't recognize that. And th- this this latest this latest story is just one of these classic examples. If you're if you lived here long enough, you might remember that there used to be a Sears department store on North Avenue, and it was the big Sears store. It was the Sears store that kind of served all the other areas. And this is back when Sears was where America shopped. That the store on North Avenue was the the big one. Well, that Sears is long gone, and that building has been various things, and and now it's pretty much nothing. What happens is you've got this developer who comes in, and he wants to build a boutique hotel at that site. Now, you can argue that if you're looking at a boutique hotel, that's probably one of the worst sites in the area that you could figure out for a boutique hotel. All right. And by the way, it's not just me saying that because private lenders apparently want nothing to do with this particular thing. Well, that hasn't stopped the city of Milwaukee. Originally, the city of Milwaukee said, okay, we'll, we'll put in $4 million. Now, this was controversial because the estimates were, even after this thing was built, it was probably only going to be worth $3.6 million, which raises the question of why would you put $4 million of public money into something that's, that's not going to generate anything near that? But all right, this is, we're trying to develop it. So, all right, they, they go ahead. They're still having trouble getting private financing for this thing. So the city of Milwaukee has now agreed to put up an additional $5 million for this hotel. Now, they've done that saying, oh, we've got this new study that says our original estimate of what this might be worth, it, it's way too low. And if you build it, we think it's going to be it's going to generate all this money and it's going to be worth all this type of stuff, et cetera, et cetera. The, again, it, it's. 
to me, the best indicator is that you have the private sector, the lenders who are responsible for dealing with boards of directors and shareholders, etc., they want no part of putting millions of dollars into this, not because they don't want to see development at this area, but because they recognize that it is a losing proposition. You kind of the, the OK, they're building an event hall. What they say is in order to generate the revenue they need to cover project costs, this event hall is going to have to be booked about 180 days a year, about a hundred like one out of every two days, this event hall is going to have to be booked. Who in their right mind thinks that that is going to happen? That's just that's an unrealistic thing. One out of every two days for the entire year, January through December, you have to have an event hall booked in order to have any hope at generating the revenue you need to cover project costs. It's never going to happen. It's just not realistic. And the private lenders know this, but the city... Well, it's taxpayer money, so here, we're going to do these loan guarantees, and because we do the loan guarantee, that means, well, okay, maybe somebody else is going to put up money because they know they're not going to be out. The loan is guaranteed, but it's guaranteed by city taxpayer dollars. So I I have to tell you, you know, the money for the domes, that would be a dumb idea. It's just not realistic. But it's nowhere near as unrealistic as this money that the city is getting to throw into this boutique hotel for the near north side. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We are back. So glad to have you with us. All right. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know that there are there are some things that just incense me, and these these bogus calls that people get saying I'm from the government, and unless you give me X amount of dollars, what's going to happen is you're going to be arrested, or this stuff is going to happen. These scams that that come out several times, you know, a year, and and we all get those type of phone calls, and you get that metallic voice saying. This is the IRS, or this is whoever. This is the IRS. You um, you owe this, et cetera, et cetera. Unless you unless you get in touch with us right away, you are going to be arrested. And of course, it's all a scam. And most people know it's a scam, but some people don't, and they panic. And what they do is they end up making arrangements to send their money to different places, and they end up getting ripped off. And for all the times we talk about this. For all the, you know, information that's out there, obviously it still works from time to time because they do it. And we're never able to catch the people that are doing it. And all we can essentially do is warn folks, you know, don't participate in this. But again, you know, maybe they find somebody who's... They, they 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 prey on elderly people. That that's I mean that's the bottom line of of what they do. They prey on elderly people who panic when they get these things and oh my god I got this phone call and they, the the IRS is going to come and they're going to arrest you or whatever. Well here's what's happened. The feds have busted here in Milwaukee. They've busted two of the creeps that have been part of this organization. Interesting story in the Journal Sentinel. All right, there's there's two guys that in the span of just a month earlier this year used fake IDs to collect, and I hope you're sitting down for this, 
nearly $220,000 that in cash that victims from the scams, and again, it's the scam, the IRS is looking for you, send money, $220,000 in a little over a month that people had sent to various addresses as part of this scam. So for anybody who says, oh, people don't know, you know people are wise, how, how could this work? Two hundred and twenty grand. Here's the deal. One guy's name is Mamadison Sikh, and the other's name is Hardik Patel. Both of them are in this country, I believe, illegally. They've each been charged with six counts of mail fraud. Here's the deal. These two creeps are runners for a larger enterprise based in India. Now, this is the problem because the people that are running the scam are, are based overseas, and it's almost impossible to get at them. But they don't get their dough unless they have people on the ground here in the United States and particularly in Wisconsin. They don't get their dough unless they have you know people who end up picking it up. So here's, I mean, here's what happens. They call the people. You know, they say, hey, we're from the FBI or we're from Social Security or we're from whatever, and you've got to send this money or else you're going to be arrested. So what would happen is the people, okay, the, the people in India would tell folks, you've got to send the money to this particular location. And then what they would do is they would contact these two creeps, uh, Sheik and Patel, and the, the people in India would say, all right, here's the deal. You have to, you know, go to this particular location and um, here, and they'd have fake IDs, go to this particular location and pick up the package of money, right? So they've told that the 85-year-old lady in West Dallas to send her money to a post office box or, or whatever this is. She sends the cashier's check. She sends the money there. And what they do is they go and they pick it up. And then what happens is they count it out. And they get to keep a percentage, and then, you know, they send it back to, to India or to wherever they're sending it for the people who are running this particular scam. Now, th- this $220,000 didn't come exclusively from southeast Wisconsin, but it came from all over. But these two guys were tasked with picking it up. Milwaukee or southeastern Wisconsin was one of the drop areas. So $220,000 over the period of of the month. Of a month, they got them, they caught them. One is in custody. Now, again, they're both, I believe, here illegally. One is in custody without bond. The other is being held with um, by, by immigration because they're here illegally doing this. So I, I started off this subject with the comment, every damn day. What does that mean? If I am the federal judge hearing this case of these two creeps, who were involved in this scam designed to fleece money out of primarily older, but could be anybody, people in this country. I mean, look, I understand they're subject to deportation. Nuts to that. This is one where if I am the federal judge, and maybe this is a reason why I would never be a federal judge, every damn day when they are convicted of the scam, I am sending them to federal prison, and I am saying you're going to serve every damn day for doing this. I understand this is one of these quote-unquote white-collar cases. They didn't take a gun and stick it to somebody's head, you know, and and empty make them empty out of cash register. I get it. I don't care. This is a despicable thing. It is done because you've got people who think that they are untouchable 
overseas who recognize that they can prey on the vulnerabilities of people and take advantage of them and separate them from their money. But the schemes and scams don't work unless you have boots on the ground here in the United States. And maybe we can't get at the people that are running this scheme in India. All right, maybe they're beyond the reach of the law. But the folks that are picking up this money, they are equally as culpable as the people who are initiating the scheme. And now that we have them, you bet, if I'm the federal judge every damn day. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Right, during that last segment, I was telling you about how it, the, the feds have caught these two guys that were runners for this operation in India that make those phone calls to people saying, you know, you're, we're from the IRS or we're from the FBI or we're from the Social Security Administration and you owe this and your benefits are going to be suspended. And, and, and actually, over a one-month period in southeastern Wisconsin, they were able to collect $220,000 from people who fell victim to these schemes. All right, I want to share with you a, a text that I just received, and I want to open up the phone lines because it has a very, very different view than mine. My point is, of course, the people that do this are the absolute scum of the earth. And they are able to succeed because they find people that are particularly vulnerable and they panic. And, and as a general rule, that they prey on elderly people, but it's not exclusive. Okay, so I say throw the book at them. Here's the text I got. Jeff, if you are so stupid that you don't understand that this is a scam, you deserve to part with your money. If you are so stupid that you don't understand that this is a scam, you deserve to part with your money. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I understand it is a scam. Chances are that you probably understand that it is a scam because it gets all this publicity. At the same time, obviously there are people who don't understand that this is a scam. They come home to find one of these threatening messages on their voicemail. They pick up the phone. They're afraid that their Social Security benefits that they need to live on every month are going to be taken away. They're afraid that their tax, that their home is going to be seized. Obviously, there are some people who don't realize it is a scam. And I don't think it's because they're stupid. I think it's because, again, maybe they're particularly vulnerable. You know, maybe you've had this happen to you. Maybe you've had this happen to, I don't know, your parents. Maybe you've had this happen to your grandparents. But I don't think it's a question of stupid. I think it's a question of, okay, maybe there's some people who, uh, again, have a particular vulnerability or whatever that gets sucked into this. And, And no I don't think you deserve to part with your money. The fact that you have scammers out there that are able to find people they can take advantage of doesn't change the fact that it's a scam. 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess I could not disagree more with this idea that if you get sucked into one of these things, you you know you deserve it. Now I understand. There's sometimes that people make investments in bad investments because they get greedy or whatever, and they don't ask enough questions. That's not what this is, is it? Jack in the Third War. Jack, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. You know this is a great subject, and you know I I've been a cpa for 30 plus years and i had a client last year that fell uh to the point of her going to walmart 
and purchasing two $500 gift cards or trying to. And if it wasn't for the manager there who said, what are you doing to step in? She would have sent two $500 gift cards under the scam was you have a nephew that's been arrested right. down here in El Salvador. You know, right. they use everything. So I agree with you. Yeah, no, every dang day for sure. Right, and, and again, and, and this client who did this, would you consider her to be particularly stupid or clueless, or did she just panic? No, she was elderly, and you're right. No, that is an arrogant statement. Whoever texted you, uh, no, you need to redo your thinking. Right. Uh, you know, no. People get worried. You say IRS to a client, oh, oh, I have a rule, don't ever call them because, A, they won't call you and just let me handle it. Don't pick up a phone. <laughs> right, right. Or, or and see, and I understand it. You, you find, and again, I, I don't mean to suggest that people who are elderly are, are automatically taken advantage of, but, but you have some people who maybe you get a call from Social Security and it sounds right. official and it sounds threatening and you say, hey, you know, you're, you're in trouble and we're going to, unless you do this, we're going to pull your Social Security and they panic. And I understand right. that. I mean, right. and, and the scammers do. No, thanks for the call, Jack. 414-799-1620. Here's a text. Jeff, this happened to my wife. She freaked out. I did intervene and stop the scam, but the scammers are incredibly sophisticated. All right, now here's another text. I agree. Anybody doing this are stupid. They deserve to lose their money. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Mary on the Northwest Side. Mary, you're on WTMJ. I think that's why it's important to talk about this type of stuff, especially with parents, grandparents, and that sort of thing. These scammers seem to have my mom's phone number on speed dial. She was constantly getting these kind of calls, and she would call us then and, you know, say, oh, they said her grandson was in jail in Florida, or the IRS called me, and now she's constantly calling him back. And I said, Mom, it's a scam. Please stop calling these people back and that sort of thing. So it's important that... You know, we take care of our parents, our grandparents, and keep them in the loop as to this kind of stuff because these older folks, not necessarily just older folks, right? I mean, they just uh, they just panic, thinking IRS, uh, my Social Security could be cut off. Right. And this is their lifeline, you know. Well, well, exactly, and especially for some people who. I don't know. They're not used to this type of stuff, and maybe they're maybe they're not as plugged into the news or something, and they don't know that this kind of stuff is going on. And that that's what happens. You have these people who obviously they're doing this to all sorts of folks, but they're they're hoping they find somebody who is particularly vulnerable or whatever that they can take advantage of. And it doesn't mean the victim deserves to lose their money. It's just hey, you've taken advantage of a vulnerable victim there, and that's why when you catch people who are involved in it, you. Got got to drop the hammer on them. I agree with you, Jeff, every damn day. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Ted in Port Washington. Ted, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Ted. Uh, I was contacted by one of these scammers a few weeks ago on a Saturday. They left a message on my cell phone, and um, I called it back. I, I, I'm not naive. I was very cautious. I called it back right. to see what this was about. And believe me when I tell you they are convincing. The man that I talked to told me he was... Uh, Agent something, something, and he says, now, I want you to write my badge number. Here's my badge number. I want you to write this down. So I listened to him, and uh, he says, yeah, we have an issue on your Social Security. Uh, there's a case against you, and uh, he said, now, let me let me get some information. And I said, okay, what, what, do you, what is it exactly that you're looking for? He said, well, what's your birth date? Yeah. And immediately, I did not give him my birth date. I gave him a phony Right, because if it was if it was a federal agent or the Social Security people, they would have your birth date. Yeah, that's correct. 
And so I gave him a phony birthday, but I didn't give him the day. I gave him, like, October of 1949. Right. So I didn't give him the exact day. And he said, hold on a minute. So he had me on hold for about 30 seconds. He came back. He says, okay, I want to make sure that I'm talking to the right person. Would you give me your Social Security number to verify it? <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. I said, you are the Social Security Administration? He said, yes. I said, you know, you guys aren't even open on Saturday. Right. How can this be? And the phone, he hung up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you played it out. But but your point is you could understand how somebody somewhere might fall for this. Oh, easily. I, I am not naive. I'm 70 years old, and uh, I still work full time. And believe me, when I listened to this guy for a, for a brief period of time, he was very convincing. Right. So, I mean, yeah, you can easily picture you, you finding... I don't somebody who again might not be as aware or or whatever who you know gets this phone call and ends up panicking and next thing you know they're like our first caller was saying they're at Walmart buying five hundred dollar gift cards to send to some you know boat bus to send to some box drop somewhere. Absolutely. No, no, thanks for calling. I guess I just I, I feel very strongly about this simply because when you have white collar criminals, when you have scam artists. What they try to do, and unfortunately, because uh, of their ability to make thousands, hundreds of thousands of these phone calls in a limited period of time, and I understand, 99% of the people probably recognize it's a scam, they don't do anything with it, but you know, all you need is that, that one person out of a hundred or one person out of a thousand or one person out of a million to respond and to send you thousands of dollars. And it's probably worth your time given how cheap this is. So I, I do this segment for two reasons. First of all, there are scammers that are out there. If you get calls from people pretending to be the government, do not cooperate with them. That is not how the government operates. That's number one. Number two, don't go to Walmart or any of these places and get gift cards and send the money out. That's not how the government operates. But but number three, I don't know, if you know people who might be vulnerable to this, recognize that there are people out there that are trying to take advantage of them. And if it does, it's not because your mom or your grandmom or your grandpa or your granddad or your uncle. It's not because they're stupid. It's just because maybe they're naive. Maybe they got scared, whatever. But, you know, no, do they deserve to lose their money? Absolutely not. Now. You know, if you're looking at some investment scheme that somebody's proposing and some fly-by-night thing and they're promising you unrealistic returns and you say without doing proper investigation, yeah, I want to get in on this scheme and it turns out that that whole thing blows up, well, maybe I'm going to have a different sort of feeling about it if, if there's not fraud involved. But that's not what this is. This is a complete and total scam. And no, you don't deserve to lose your money. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstead, I'm about to date myself once again. This okay. is something that turned 40, actually this month. And when it came out, and I remember when this came out, it was something that was incredibly revolutionary. And I'm not even sure that you would have ever owned one or known what this is. When I say Walkman, do you know what a Sony Walkman oh, is? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you ever have a Sony Walkman? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, you did. All right. Crew, different generation. When I say Sony Walkman, do you know what that is? I had a cassette one. I had a CD. Oh, my gosh. So I, had, I had both of them. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that I the Sony Walkman 
Now, this it 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 is revolutionary. In in my lifetime, I I think that the two developments and they're kind of intertwined, which really I, I think uh, affected and changed life for average people the most would certainly be the personal computer and that, that then led to smartphones and things like that and the internet i mean that's oh, yeah. I, I mean i back when i first when i went to law school and i got out of law school and you wanted to do legal research you actually had to go up to the library and you had to like like actually physically find books and read the cases it wasn't just a question of putting in these things so that's been revolutionary but it was 1979 now before 1979 for people who you know might not be as aware as my producer and Mr. Billstead here, um, the when, when I was a kid growing up and you wanted to listen to music, you went to the rec- the record store and you bought records. You either bought forty fives, the singles, or you bought the albums, the thirty three and a third, and you, mm-hmm. you'd play them. Okay, then you had the big development. You had cassette tapes, or you had eight-track tapes. And back in the day, back in the day, when, you know, if, if you wanted to have your music in the car, cars came with AM radios, then they had AM, FM radios. But as a general rule, the the tape decks or the eight-track decks, they were add-ons. So you would go to the stereo store or whatever, and you would have a cassette deck put in your car with the speakers, or you'd have the 8-track thing. And I do not, for the life of me, understand why anybody ever bought 8-tracks because, you know, they they're, they they just, in the middle of the song, they'll they switch to the, the different track, you know, but, but they did. And, but that's how, I mean, that's how you got your music. And I would tell you, back when I was a teenager, if you had if you had an expensive tape deck or something, that, that was cool, you yeah. know, and you had the speakers and the cars and stuff. But they're really... There really wasn't a way to take your music portably outside the car. You know, you'd have the cassette and you could put it in your car. And then in 1979, Sony invented the Walkman. And the reason, this is a little bit of trivia, the reason they invented the Walkman was you had these Sony executives who would have to fly like overseas and stuff, and they wanted to listen to music. Sure, that was yeah, so. The executive said there should be a way that we could we could do this. So we're on these like long flights, and so we'd be able to listen to our music. So they invented this. So here's the deal: the original Sony Walkman, the battery life, two and a half hours. <laughs> that was That's two good. two and a half hours. The original price, if you wanted to buy a Sony Walkman in 1979, was 19 uh, yeah 79 was um a hundred and it was two hundred bucks. Oh which translates into about fourteen hundred dollars in today's money. Two hundred bucks. The most expensive Walkman, um three thousand two hundred bucks and it weighed more than a pound. You know? oh so, my goodness. so so that was it. But you had the, the the cassettes. But I remember when these things came out. Of course I had to have one because then all of a sudden you you had this power of being able to take your music anywhere you wanted to take it, sure, you know. And sure. so, but of course, the problem was, you know, you could only it was only one cassette at a time. So if you, I don't know, wanted five or six, right? You had to carry like a little. You had to carry, you know, five or six of the cassettes yeah. and stuff. Yeah, oh yeah, that was yeah. it. Okay, so 
And then, of course, after you had the, the the Walkman, then it led to the disc. Then the, you had the CD discs, and then you had the Discman, and then it led to you know Apple developing like the the iPods and things like that. And then we had the whole digital world. And it's stuff. amazing how it's come along. It, it has. Well, Steve Jobs. This was you know from Apple. His he saw the Sony Walk. That's the story. I mean, he saw the Sony Walkman. And he just got, he kept thinking there's got to be a better way to build this mousetrap. And the people who wanted to take their music with them shouldn't have to carry a bag with eight or ten cassettes <laughs> in it. And so, that, but that was really well, the motivator. The mixtapes, though? I mean, mixtapes, that was phenomenal. I, that People would take days to create this perfect mixtape to play in right, or, or to, or to, or to, or to give, to, give to the gal that you were madly yes, in love with here yeah. I, that's just broken up with you here I, this is every time I think of you this is what I think of and it's got all these like sad love songs and right. stuff like that on the right, mixtapes yes. but but the Sony Walkman yeah 40 years so you did you actually have one oh yes for, absolutely D- did you have one grew still got it you still, still have it, it? yeah still huh. got it can I can I blow your mind on this for for a quick second? I don't here? know. It depends. I, <laughs> okay, I, go ahead. I, well, number one, I still collect cassette tapes because uh, the car that I drive it's a 2005, but it still has a cassette player in it. Uh, and then I also, and you you know this already, but I collect a lot of vinyl records. Right. Um, and for the longest time, I would go on a search for a vinyl record cassette player combo and they only made these in the 80s so you're gonna like you're gonna find them at at thrift stores and it's a miracle if both of them work i bought my fourth one uh earlier this summer my fourth one and it finally this is the one that works both it works it plays cassettes plays vinyl records it's on my porch it's a thing of beauty holy cow Uh, see because you know see again back in the day i mean the big thing was you'd have the whole stereo thing you'd have the turntable you know, you'd have like the Techniques turntable, and then you'd have the receiver that powered the thing, and then you'd have a separate tape, tape deck, you know. And, and if you were really fancy, you would be able to take the album and, you know, through this, you'd be able to record on the cassette tape. So, you know, you could, you know, you, you'd be able to make your own cassettes, so you, you could do that. I No. 40 years ago. 40 years ago. 40 years ago. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. Well, that's it. I want to open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That's the accurate. Yeah, see, here. that's where we're going. Um, again, like like I say, the the, the, the clearly in, in my lifetime, the biggest developments, you know, the, the personal computer, you know, leading to now the smartphones and, and the Internet. There, there's no question about that. But when I, I think about the way that music and the, and, it's, and this is, comes from the perspective of somebody who while having no musical talent myself, absolutely loves music and, you know, loves, I grew up, I'm a child of the 60s and the 70s and all the different types of music and, and you know, we've got Woodstock that's turning 50 and all these things, but it's just, I mean, a lot of us came to, you know, we, we came of age, you know, listening to different music sources and things like that, and I, I get into these debates all the time as to what is the best way to listen to music. Is it... Is it the original vinyl tapes? Is it the cassettes? If you want to argue for the ace tracks, I'll be willing to listen, but I don't quite get that. You know, is it the CDs? Is it the MP3s? All right, if you're going to be that audiophile and you want to listen to music, how do you do it? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. My producer's big into vinyl. I, I admit, I, I've just always found that to be too much trouble, and to me, I, I'm not as not much of an audiophile as, you know, I, I just 
that you need to hear the original sound quality, but I know a lot of people are. Okay, of all these different variations that we've had over the years, what's your favorite? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're going to have a little bit of fun on a Friday afternoon. We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'm not going to mention her name, but she says, too funny you're talking about this. I'm using my Walkman right now to listen to your program at work. I'm blocked from online listening. We love that. 414-799-1620. We were just talking about all the different, the evolution of music from when I was a kid, when I was a kid back in the day, you had you had singles that you could buy, you had the record albums, then you had cassettes and eight tracks, and then of course you morphed into you know the the CDs, and then of course now it's all the MP3 and the digital downloads and things like that to the point that um, and now of course it's it's just it's all live streaming nowadays. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. What's the best? John in Greendale. John, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. You missed one, one important uh, uh, concept of the music there was the reel-to-reel uh, recorder. Right. And uh, those were the real audio files that loved the reel-to-reel stuff. Yeah. Yep. So we would take vinyl, record them onto that reel-to-reel, and then play them through a pair of Bose 901 speakers. And that was the best sound you could have. Right, exactly. But, of course, you even that had the limitation because you had recorded it off of the vinyl. So you it was still like kind of a second-generation sort of thing. Yeah, it was. And, and, you, and you had a search on the reel to right. where, you were, you know, where the song was as well. But right. it, uh, it was a great way to listen to music. No, no, th- exactly. And, well, and that, you know, that was the thing with the cassettes, too, that you couldn't – you couldn't immediately go to just like one song. You had to, if you wanted to hear a song and it was the fourth song on the quote unquote album, you know, you had to kind of fast forward through that. Okay, here's a note, Jeff. The reasons we listen to eight tracks is that eight tracks were out first before cassette players were introduced. I, I guess I don't. I'm, maybe that's the case. I, I just I kind of remember them coming out simultaneously, but I, I could be. I could be wrong. I did. I just never got the eight track. I was. I was always a cassette player type of guy. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to. Let's see. Dan in Burlington. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, the best way to listen to music out of all these different choices. It's got to be vinyl for me. I'm a vinyl junkie. I got about five thousand. My wife wish I. She wishes I didn't. <laughs> Because <laughs> you, uh, you, you have like a whole room in your house dedicated to the albums, huh? I do, yes, yes. And I also my my receiver of choice is a 1964 Fisher tube stereo. <laughs> okay. So I'm I'm still using tubes, vacuum tubes, and so. Okay. Is is it the is it the sound quality that you like the best? Is it just the the feel of setting up the the record on the record player? I mean, what is it you think? Yeah, it's a, just a. The full immersion in, in into the song. I mean, liner notes, or I, I I like right. to read liner notes, uh, album cover artwork. Yeah. You know, and at my advanced age of nine, of fifty three years old, it's really hard to read on a, all that stuff. You know, on a CD case. So. Yeah. Is it? Um. Do you do you still buy new albums, new new vinyl? I do. Yeah, okay. I do. Um. Yeah, I mean, some of nowadays some of the quality's not so good. They just kind of bump them out. But other than that. You know, because it's not the analog source anymore. Most records, right. most records are, are just a digital copy. Right, right. You know, and pressed onto vinyl. So, so you're old school and you're proud of it. Absolutely, <laughs> works for me. Thanks for the call, Dan. Let's talk to Aaron in West Bend. Aaron, you're on WTMJ. Hello. 
Hello, how's it going? I I am well, thank you. Okay, what uh, when you're when you're listening to music, what's your choice? I don't even use any form of medium. I actually just listen to everything through YouTube, like through my phone. I have a YouTube Premium membership, right? Like ten dollars a month, and I can look up any song I want. Well, you are clearly ahead. Of, that that is the wave of the future. You know, I mean there there are there are people who will say five, ten years from now. That's the only way that you can get music. They're they're not going to have CDs anymore. They're not going to be coming out with any new vinyl albums. It's all going to just be digital, and it's going to be you know just just downloadable up in the cloud or wherever. Well, yeah, I mean I've, I've been through the progression of all the different forms. I mean, I've had a, a Walkman, a tape Walkman, a CD Walkman. Actually, had a, when they first started doing the digital formats, like I would have CDs with MP, actual MP3s. <laughs> MP3 files that you would put in right. car stereo, and you know, just I've been kind of going along with all the technology. Right now, you don't you don't recreate your music library every time you like you switch from cassettes to CDs to like the the downloads and stuff, right? Or, or do you? No, I actually like when you go on YouTube, it kind of knows what type of music you like, so it'll actually like put songs on according to what you listen to right so you know i don't even need a playlist or anything right well there's no doubt i mean thanks there's no doubt that that's that is the convenience the the idea that it's all it's just all up there and you don't have to fool with you don't have to fool with the cds you you know you and, and clearly i mean that's like that that's where apple's moving by you know changing their their apple store for um you know the the whole you know the, all all the Apple music nowadays. They want you to go, you know, to the streaming stuff. They want you to get away from iTunes, and so that's why for I think the iTunes on Apple they're they're closing down the store and stuff. You're not going to be able to download CDs. It's just going to be okay. Sign up for the, the streaming services. Let's talk to Paul in Illinois. Hi, Paul. You're on WTMJ. Yeah. Hi, Jeff. I still have my Electrophonic console that's an AM FM. <laughs> A-track turntable. <laughs> okay. I've got, I've got three bookcases of records, but nothing puts a smile on my face than when I'm decorating the house at Christmas time. I've got probably 40, 50 Christmas albums from, like, national food stores, Firestone, Reader's Digest. That stuff is not out there. Right. And I got, it just puts a smile on my face. It just, you know, people come down, they look at it. You know, it's a conversation piece, but that's what it's about. It's, right. It's vinyl. I'm sorry. It's, it's vinyl. Okay, you said you still you got the combination eight track player. Do you still have any more eight? Do you have any eight tracks? Oh yeah, I, I recorded my Beach Boys. I downloaded the Endless Summer album on the eight track, and I used to play that in my Purple Gremlin. <laughs> there you go. Thanks for going. That that's really a, a blast from the past. A Purple Gremlin and the eight track uh, the eight track players. Yeah, I guess a number of people are making that point that the eight tracks. I guess. You know, came out before the cassette decks, and that might have been a little bit before my time. But I mean, I, I you know, it was just, I mean, if you were a kid of a certain age, the, the, it was the really cool kids that had, you know, the, the fancy stereo stuff in, in their car, and it, whether it was the eight track player or it was the cassette player, and you'd, you'd spend stupid money on putting the speakers, you know, throughout the car and stuff. That, that's who was, was really cool. Nowadays, I mean, I don't know, there's not too many cars that even come with, um, with CD players anymore. It's pretty much all just, you know, downloadable stuff. The times they are changing. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Fem Rejuvenation Clinic. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right, in the last segment of the program, we talked about the, the Walkman turning 40 years old and how revolutionary that was. There was another big anniversary earlier this week that was celebrated in a big way by one area community. All right, Gru, do you know what happened to Oconomowoc this weekend? Oh, I have no idea. No, I, I tell you, current events. All right, this is the 80th anniversary of the premiere of The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz debuted the premiere, the world premiere of this show, this movie, which is, of course, a a classic by all standards, August 12th, 1939, and it was in Oconomowoc. There's a story behind that. We won't go into it now. But to celebrate the 80th anniversary of The Wizard of Oz, Earlier this week, Oconomowoc had a a big party. They kind of had a parade. They had all Wizard of Oz sort of related things. They had um, people would dress up in costumes. They had various theme stuff that was going on, and it all wrapped around a a showing of a restored print of the Wizard of Oz. I I was thinking back on this uh, because, you know, the Wizard of Oz is one of those, those movies that almost everybody sees as a kid. And it was revolutionary in its time because back then, when it came out in 1939, a lot of movies were, were made in, the vast majority of movies were made in black and white. And The Wizard of Oz, I think perhaps everybody knows this now, but you know, you've got the early scenes in it where it's set in Kansas, and that's in black and white. And then the tornado comes along and the house gets sucked up and Dorothy lands on the Wicked Witch or the whatever in the house, and she's in Oz, and you open it up and it's color which was really, really, really a big deal at the time. And then, of course, then you at the end, you end up back in Kansas, and it's black and white again. So it was, it was revolutionary in that way. And The Wizard of Oz is, of course, one of those sort of classic movies that whenever you talk about the list of people's all-time favorite movies, it, it's, it's always up there because it's got everything. It's got, you know, a young Judy Garland. It's got great music. I mean, the song, you know, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, which is a song that almost didn't even make it into that. But it, it's just absolutely classic. So in recognition of the big doings they had in Oconomowoc this week and the 80th anniversary of the debut, uh, the premiere of The Wizard of Oz, I thought we'd take Pop Culture Corner back to its roots. And when I first started this years and years and years ago, we used to call the segment Friday afternoon at the movies, and then we kind of expanded that over the years. But if you're a regular listener, you know that I I just I, I love movies. I love everything that there is about movies, new movies, old movies, really old movies. I, I just love it. And I thought in recognition of the 80th anniversary of the premiere of The Wizard of Oz, we, we'd go back and we'd talk movies today. And if we're going to be talking about The Wizard of Oz, one of the greatest movies of all time, I thought the topic for today, in your opinion, what is the best movie of all time? And you can define best however you want to define it. But your favorite movie of all time, and you got to pick one. 
because I, I understand it. It's tough. When I say that, I immediately think of five or ten movies, and, you know, all are great in their different ways. But in your opinion, and you don't have to care what the critics think. You know, you don't have to care what, you know, the people who write reviews think. In your opinion, the best movie that you have ever seen. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It could be a drama. It could be a comedy. It could be a musical. The best movie that you have ever seen. As I always advise people during these segments, uh, call quick because our phone lines tend to jam up and don't overthink it. Sometimes people say, well, if I called and I said that, would it sound silly? Just when you... Go with your first instinct. All right, we're going to give Gruen an opportunity to start lining up the calls. We will be back to discuss in just a moment the best movie, in your opinion, of all time, 414-799-1620. And by the way, it doesn't have to necessarily be decades old to be a classic. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Femme Rejuvenation Clinic. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. All right. Best, best movie ever. 80 years ago, The Wizard of Oz debuted in Oconomowoc. Let's start with Dave in Waukesha. Dave, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I am well, thank you. Best of all time? Uh, Kelly's Heroes. Okay. All think right. About, think about who was all in there. I mean, you had Cheryl O'Connor, you had Donald Sutherland, you had Clint Eastwood. Telly Savalas, Don Rickles, Donald Sutherland, yeah. yeah. I mean, it could, the list goes on and on and on, and it's, it's still, I don't know, for some reason, it just kind of remains timely. Oh, no. Well, I, I think so. I mean, I always, Kelly's Heroes is one of those that whenever I'm channel surfing and ever I come across it, I stop and I end up watching it. I've probably seen it. I don't even want to tell, talk how many times I've seen it. But I, I, I think, I mean, I think it's an incredibly entertaining movie. No question about it. 1970, uh, Clint Eastwood. 414-799-1620. Kathy in East Troy. Hi, Kathy. You're in WTMJ. Hello. I love Gone with the Wind. Okay. So you're old school there. Well, I'm 64 years old, and as soon as I ever saw it, I watch it every year, three, four times a year. All right. You realize it's it's become politically incorrect now because of the sort of South Will Rise Again you know, theme of the movie. Yes, yes, but <laughs> you know, it's history. <laughs> you, you know, when you think about it, um, you know, Vivian Lee with Scarlett O'Hara, it's, it's just, you, I, you, you know, apparently there was this huge... You know, controversy over who are they going to cast as Scarlett O'Hara, and you know she was a British act- actress. But after watching that movie, you can't picture anybody else as Scarlett O'Hara other than Vivian Lee. Yep, yep, she's she's good. Yeah, she's great. Now, thanks, for, and and Clark Gable. I mean, I'm telling you, something for everybody. Jack and Elkhorn. Jack, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Okay, best movie of all time. Which Cassie and the Sundance Kid? Uh, Paul Newman and uh, Robert Redford back in their in their heyday. And of course, Kathleen Sullivan or Kathleen Ross. Uh, yes, yes, a young cat, <laughs> right? A young Catherine Ross, absolutely. Do yeah. you? I remember. It's funny. I remember seeing that in a theater, and I didn't. I. I I didn't realize. I didn't know the history of Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, and and the ending, the way it just kind of ends with the two of them, you know, going out in a gunfight in a blaze of glory. I thought it was just an amazing ending. And now that I think about it, it's it's the way you had to end that movie. 
and they're going to go to Australia. Yeah, right. That right. That's what they were thinking. Right. Thanks, I always remember that scene where they're getting ready to. They're they're trapped by the posse, and they're getting ready to jump over over the cliff. And you know, the one says to the other, "I, I don't swim," and the other guy says, oh, "You know, the fall is going to probably kill you, stupid." And they jump off. It was a great movie. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Rick in Caledonia. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Okay, the best movie of all time. For me, it's To Kill a Mockingbird. Of course, the, you know, the tour de force with Gregory Peck, no question about it. Oh, oh and, and, then, and then Robert Duvall, right? The great right. Robert Duvall with no lines. No lines, but he makes a, he makes an incredible statement in that movie. Yeah, you know, and it's just, I, I mean, thanks to call you. When you think of, and To Kill a Mockingbird, that one of the, you know, we talk about this from time to time because it's controversial because of its portrayal of racism in the South in the 1930s and the use of some language and stuff. But, I mean, that's... That that movie is just I mean, it captures that time. It captures that book. And and I'm not sure that there's another pairing of a book and a movie that just, you know, does justice to one another. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I mean, you can watch that movie and be inspired to watch the read the book or vice versa. Let's talk to Terry and Racine. Terry, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Terry. What do you think? Uh, my favorite suspense movie is Wait Until Dark. Uh, with um, Audrey Hepburn. Yes, and Alan Arkin, and I think Peter Lawford were, was in it. Um, it was it, it had you on the edge of your seat. It 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 did. Now, thanks. I mean, I remember I first saw Wait Until Dark at um, at, at one of my best friends. He passed away a couple of years ago. Still miss John to this day. But his his church, and he went to one of the Lutheran churches on Santa Monica in Fox Point, and they had like a, a movie night, and in the basement they showed Wait Until Dark, and I, I guess can remember being there, and a bunch of, we were in high school at the time, and I had no idea what this movie was, or how it ended, or anything like that, and and again, you know, Audrey Hepburn who plays a blind woman who's being you know, stalked by these the, the, these bad guys and stuff, um, it was... It was it was outstanding. I mean, it was a Hitchcock type of thing. And Audrey Hepburn, she was a tour de force. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Carol in Milwaukee. Carol, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Hi my Carol. favorite is White Christmas. All right, okay. Uh, right, tell me why you like it so much. It's just a feel good movie. I don't. Whenever you are having a bad day, or it doesn't matter what time of year it is, it's just going to make you feel better about humanity. <laughs> yeah, and right. Well, it, it does. And of course, you've got you know you've got Rosemary Clooney, and you've got Bing Crosby, and you've got Danny Kaye, and you've got uh, Verna Ellen. All those people are just just great in that yeah. movie. No, I, exactly. and it's. I mean, thanks, Scott. And again, that's another one. That, you know, you've got, it, it's a color movie. It just absolutely pops out. Okay, let me, I'm not doing some justice to the text line here. Um, after a lot of thought, I'd have to say Dances with Wolves. That was great. How about American Graffiti? Um, yeah, I mean, American Graffiti, tremendous. Let's see. Um, Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was on a Lawrence of Arabia kick a few years ago where I, I just, I don't think I had originally appreciated how good that particular movie was. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talking Text Line. A little more current movie. Kim says, Shakespeare in Love is my all-time favorite movie. That was a very, very good movie as well. Um, let's see. Kevin says, I define an all-time movie as one you can watch over and over again. For me, it's Back to the Future. Yeah, back, particularly 
really the first Back to the Future. The, the other ones I thought were okay, but the first Back to the Future I thought was outstanding. 414-799-1620. Bill in Manitowoc. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I'd have to say Rear Window by Alfred Hitchcock. It's got Jimmy Stewart and the future Princess of Monaco. Uh, Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the bad guy is uh, Perry Mason, Raymond Burr. Ironside right, exactly. and pay, right, he's the bad guy. Yeah, in in that that I mean, thanks for call, but that's you know Hitchcock. I think for a lot of people, maybe if you're both, you know, maybe if you're above forty or something, you don't uh, uh, below forty or something, you don't appreciate how good some of those Hitchcock movies were. Everybody, I mean, I think everybody remembers the birds. That's probably the one that got the most attention. But boy, I tell you, there's some. There's some great Hitchcock movies, and Rear Window would certainly be one of them, and, and Jimmy Stewart is tremendous in that. Let's talk to Michael in Appleton. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, my favorite movie of all time is The Apartment. Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. Fred McMurray plays the best sleazy boss of all time in that movie. Yeah. Um, I've always been a big Billy Wilder fan, so right. I thought... I think that's his best of all time, um, and, and it has one of the best laugh lines of any movie of all time. Which and would be? Jack so Jack Lemmon finally confesses to Shirley MacLaine how much he loves her, and they're about to play cards, and she just says, shut up and deal. You know, it's, it's interesting because Fred McMurray... And again, I'm dating myself a little bit, but one of the really popular TV shows in the 60s was a show called My Three Sons, incredibly popular. And Fred McMurray was the, the, the widowed dad. And so it was about his things. You know, people, I think, if you only knew Fred McMurray from that, you forgot, like, his movie career where he played, you know, he, he played, again, the, the sleazy boss in the apartment like you're talking about. And he was the, um, you know, would-be murderer in... Um, Double Indemnity, you know, it just just great movies. Okay, I'm kind of running out of time. I'm sorry. It's a, here's some of the people that aren't going to get on. I apologize. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Tombstone, The Shootist, which was John Wayne's last movie. Um, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Ben-Hur, of course, another vote for Kelly's Heroes. If you were to ask me that question, I guess I would have to, and it kind of depends on the, the day you talk to me, uh, Casablanca. I think um, I think Casablanca is close to a perfect film, and it's one of those that, again, if the standard is one that you never get tired of, that would be one. I, I think if I think about it, there might be a movie that I think is better, and that's The Godfather. I, I think the more I, I've watched The Godfather over time, the more I, I just think – on, on so many different levels, it, it's kind of close to a perfect movie. Um, and I understand that this is kind of tough to define best because there might be movies that I like better than The Godfather, uh, but but it, it's just – I think it is just so incredibly well done. I think to a person, the performances are so great. I think it captures that era and it recreates the era. Yeah, I think if if you were to, you know, again say Jeff, you got to pick one, what's it going to be? I think it's Francis Ford Coppola as the Godfather. All right, wish we had more time. We do this every week at this time. Uh, Pop Culture Corner sponsored by New Femme Rejuvenation Clinic and we certainly appreciate that. I'm going to take a quick break. John McCure is on the road. He's down at the Rock Sports Complex in Franklin. We'll check in with him in just a moment. Please stick around.